0: to the Hertie School. Hertie School. School. Well, we live in Berlin. Great to be back in Berlin. As a School of Governance, we see our mission in fostering these important discussions. Emmanuel Macron. Professor Habermas. Ambassador Ischinger. Madam Minister. This is Germany's moment to shine. You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin. Hello. Yeah, it's of course great to be back. I'm very honored to be invited back also to this event. And also very happy because I do think there's a lot to tell. Uh, I do want to start with a small other thing. Um, I had four years of German classes in high school, and I ended it with like a a six out of 10. I don't know the system in Germany, but that's just enough. Uh, So I was just wondering if you can help me check how good my German actually is. I've been listening the the, the whole morning, uh, of course. And going back to the presentation two and a half years ago, I ended with three questions. Uh, The first one is, are we heading to a very social or a very efficient uh, sharing economy. Uh, If I understood correctly uh, this morning, uh, this could still go both ways, but in many of the grassroots projects, it is very much depending on social friction between people to actually build trust and let communities work. Is this correct or am I missing? Okay, that's one, (laughs) good. Um, uh, Economically, it's gonna be very centralized venture capital based economic models in the sharing economy or more cooperative shared ownership uh, type of models. Uh, what I learned, this was maybe easier because of the slides, that about 20% are businesses and all other organizations have some other form or no form yet at all. So it's actually a minority of the new organization in Germany that are following a venture capital based model. Of course, it may be the case that some of those will be uh, the biggest and therefore have a large market share. Correct? Okay. Yeah, then I'll quit, Otherwise, I'll keep on uh, going through the whole morning, but that gives me some confidence uh, for today. Uh, what I wanna start with is a little bit uh, uh, in my capacity as a founder of ShareNow and our work with governments and companies uh, around the world, a little bit about how the sharing economy itself is developing. And in the second part of my talk, I wanna speak more about my uh, role as a founder of the Sharing Cities Alliance and seeing, uh, sharing a little bit with you what's happening in cities uh, basically also around the world. Uh, and anytime, uh, feel free to ask a question uh, to me because that helps me also Uh, steer what exactly I'm going to talk about, because I'm never entirely sure uh, before I start. So to keep it light after all the numbers in the morning, I just want to show you some examples also for the ones in the room that uh, are still quite new uh, to the topic. And talking about cities, I want to of course bring you first to Amsterdam and show you one of the most uh, famous and notorious Dutch sharing economy startups. Uh, It's a social enterprise called Peerby and Peerby lets you borrow uh, for free uh, household items uh, from neighbors. So here you see Monica, her bag is too small. So that's a problem. So she goes to Peerby, she she says she needs a backpack. And then the Peerby app looks in the the neighborhood uh, to other Peerby members. And here's a very friendly guy who actually has a backpack. They get into a chat conversation with each other. And sometimes then people decide to meet in a public space for safety. But also in my own experience, people usually meet at the door. And then no money involved the backpack is being shared for free and uh, about two and a half years ago it worked quite alright in Amsterdam but uh, PAB is now on a stage with a couple of hundred, of thousands of users uh, across Europe and also in some American cities and in a city like Amsterdam the density is so high that for everything that I ask in 90% of the time I get it within 15 minutes for free from a neighbour. So it is on the pathway to becoming kind of a a Spotify for goods uh, type of platform. Their only challenge is their business model. Well, staying in the Netherlands, I wanna introduce another platform. It's quite uh, similar. It's called uh, 3D Hubs and 3D printing and local manufacturing is of course uh, an issue. But like many suitable items for the sharing economy, 3D printers are expensive and not being used all the time. So it's very suitable uh, item to share. So it's the same way you design your product works the same as Peerbee, a local uh, uh, 3D printer owner uh, owner prints it for you, and then you come and pick it up. And then another quite big platform in the Netherlands is called Share Your Meal, uh, home sharing in neighborhoods, where uh, people who like to cook an extra portion, they do so, and uh, uh, you can uh, actually buy this portion at cost price, so just a couple of euros, pick it up at your neighbor. So this is probably obvious for most of you, but uh, the two key elements that are new in this online and new modern sharing economy is that we have new ways to build trust and we have a way to make it more efficient. So if I need a backpack, I don't need to knock on every door or put something in the supermarket on on the wall. The the app is actually making the connection between the, the one who has the supply and the one who has the demand. So to show you a little bit about how this can change uh, the way we do things, I wanna uh, uh, talk a little bit about the carpooling. Uh, The company BlaBlaCar was mentioned uh, this morning, Uh, but what I wanna show to you is actually a day on the BlaBlaCar platform in Europe. And uh, we're gonna start at 11 o'clock in the morning in Moscow, and as you see on the map, every blue dot is some individual in his car uh, traveling together with somebody who's matched to them, who's going in the same direction. So as most of you probably know, this is not an Uber type of platform. You're already driving somewhere and you take on passengers. Well, it's now two o'clock. You see Germany coming on the map, especially after BlaBlaCar acquired the Mitfahrzentrale. Centrale. It was quite a big growth in France. And you can almost literally recognize every single highway on the European highway system if you just look at the data of BlaBlaCar. And Because we make things more efficient and we're able to uh, establish trust, a phenomenon like carpooling, which has received millions and millions of subsidies throughout uh, uh, OECD countries, is now something that becomes a billion dollar opportunity. Because BlaBlaCar is a for-profit platform that's worth a couple of billion, and uh, they are transporting more people than the largest European railway companies. So you see a little bit of the impact. The same with this uh, 3D Hubs uh, platform. There are so many 3D printers already uploaded on the platform that a billion people around the world live in the proximity of a printer and can thus uh, use the capacity of those printers. So, uh, in the Netherlands, there are about 150 sharing economy startups, about half of them are social enterprises. Uh, the next one are the for profit uh, platforms, and there are a few uh, uh, co ops among them. And they're in all kinds of uh, sectors. So you can imagine in Amsterdam, um, boat sharing is, uh, is a popular uh, item. Again, it's an asset that's expensive. It's sitting still a lot of the time, so why not make a better use of it? Well, I don't need to introduce to you co-working spaces because there's many here in Berlin and there are people in the room actually operating co-working spaces. A new big thing in Amsterdam is uh, a home, uh, f- uh, um, uh, home cooking, home restaurants. Uh, This is actually quite an issue also for the government, people opening up their own house as a a restaurant. It's quite successful, Uh, people love the experience, uh, but it differs highly per home cook how well it's being received by the neighborhood. So there are home cooks who take a lot of people who make a lot of noise and there are home cooks who invite their neighbors to come and eat for free and just ask them, am I troubling you and taking much more personal responsibility? And this is something we are now working on with multiple cities and also uh, different ministries in the Netherlands to uh, redo this, uh, this market and the regulations. Well, uh, expensive clothes, women clothing, uh, expensive bags. Uh, there's a platform in the Netherlands called WeWear where you can uh, rent a dress uh, from somebody. Um, and the sharing economy also goes as far as uh, uh, pet-sitting. So Pawshake is a platform where you can uh, borrow each other dog, basically. And uh, to me this sounded a bit ridiculous in the beginning, but then when you do the calculations and see what people pay to actually have a dog, and then when you go on holiday, you put it in a dog hotel. What that costs? Well, there's other families that actually want to try owning a dog just for a few weeks, and then you see yeah, it makes economic sense and also social sense for the neighbourhood. And this is a, 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 a cooperative-built uh, platform that's operating in the healthcare sector. It's called We Help, We Helpen in, uh, in Dutch, and uh, this is helping out people in your neighbourhood for free. Um, and the interesting thing is, it's all kinds of little tasks from doing shopping to helping out with the medicine, doing some cleaning, etc. is that on this platform, there's five times more supply, people say, hey, I want to help, then there's demand, people daring to ask, hey, I need some help. So these are interesting social uh, dynamics, and the platform itself isn't, still hasn't figured out how to tackle that issue. Well, there's someone in the room as well researching uh, peer-to-peer energy markets. In the Netherlands, we have uh, Van de Bron which is a peer-to-peer marketplace for energy, where uh, as a customer you can buy the energy directly from an energy producer, like a local farmer who has a a windmill. Um, And the interesting thing there is that your money doesn't go into the black box of the utility, you pay a fixed price to the platform, which is to run the platform, and then all the other money goes directly to the one you're buying the energy from. Uh, This is not going unnoticed, there are several large uh, energy companies from around the world, uh, that want to do more with this, but in most markets it's quite hard to do because of the, the way the market is set up. Um, but in the Netherlands it is possible, so the Nuon Vattenfall uh, consortium uh, launched uh, a new startup called Powerpeers, and Powerpeers is enabling me to buy energy directly from my neighborhood solar panels. So it's a direct in the neighborhood peer-to-peer marketplace for energy. So. That is all part of of what we call the peer-to-peer part of the sharing economy, people trading amongst themselves. But uh, I think what's very interesting and what has not been spoken about that much today is how our traditional companies reacting to what is happening in this peer-to-peer sharing economy. So the way we we visualise it is that in the the red part uh, of this overview there is the sharing economy, but in every market there is also a traditional economy. So, uh, an easy example always is the mobility. In mobility, you have uh, Drivee, which has commercials in the metro right now here in Berlin, peer-to-peer car sharing, but also Snapcar from the Netherlands. It's a peer-to-peer marketplace where you uh, rent a car from a neighbor. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have the traditional economy with companies like Avis that have been uh, renting out cars for decades in their own way. And then you see that both within the sharing economy, there's a tendency from very social models, like Snapcar where you meet each other, to more efficient models, uh, where there's like a new intermediary uh, facilitating the exchange. Um, And on the other hand, in the the traditional businesses, you see also innovations like models like Car2Go popping up. Well, and basically what we are doing at ShareNL is across all kinds of sectors, we are helping traditional companies to innovate towards what consumers in the sharing economy want. And this is definitely something that's going to uh, give another boost to the overall growth of sharing economy activity and flexible ownership models and access over ownership models. So just to give you some examples, you have, of course, uh, a car to go. That's being, of course, also here in Berlin, that's being used by multiple people. So imagine you are a city government and you see the trend of car sharing and you also have the the, the pressure of uh, uh, parking availability in your city and mobility is always just a tremendous burden on, on most people. Uh, cities around the world. So for instance the city of Utrecht in the Netherlands has a policy where they want to push people to get rid of their car uh, or at least no longer park it in front of their house anymore and there's still a lot of space in the garages so they're going to push people to put their car in the, in the garage but they were thinking if we're doing that anyway then maybe we can make them if they go to the garage there we can uh, help them and learn about uh, shared mobility options. So one of the things we are now finishing one of the projects is a concept for a shared mobility hub where in the garage there will be all kinds of shared vehicles available so that people are being kind of lured to get rid of their second car or maybe even the first car because they know there's a reliable option always nearby. We also want this concept to be a concept that changes the neighborhood. So what we want is once a car goes off the street that that 12 square meters of city space is being reused so that the neighborhood sees that the garage is transforming the neighborhood. And what the wind looks like if there are less cars standing on the road and you have more room for playgrounds or little gardens and whatsoever. We have for a long time worked together with the insurance industry in the Netherlands. I'm not gonna uh, speak too much about it, but there's been two big waves in the Netherlands. The first was that we helped the insurance industry to create products for sharing economy. So you can share a car or a house and you know it's safe. The second wave is more interesting. In this wave, the insurance industry is actually changing their existing product portfolio so that uh, uh, sharing solutions are automatically in there. And these kind of things, they, they sound uh, uh, quite obvious as well but they are crucial for most consumers to actually start engaging in these type of models because well, most people will love their car. They already wouldn't share it but not at all if there's not like a proper uh, insurance there. Another part that I'm really excited about is uh, uh, urban development, area development. So most cities have been built for ownership. We have our houses, we have our storage spaces, uh, we have our parking lots. What we're seeing now that in in some areas, and in the Netherlands there are quite a few projects, where we are getting to design buildings but also whole uh, neighborhoods uh, suitable for sharing. So that our physical infrastructure makes that more easy. So this is a concept that's gonna start being built at the end of this year in in Amsterdam, uh, where they're gonna see, okay, what can we do in in a building? What can we do with the bottom floor, which is now a problem because of the the retail uh, crisis that you see happening. There's not enough shops to fill the bottom floors of these buildings. So what can you do there? Well, I guess you can fill in the the picture. But also why does everyone need to have their own guest room? Why can you not have a shared guest room on your floor? Uh, There are all kinds of tools for equipment where you with your smartphone can Uh, get in the corridor of your building open uh, uh, a device that lets you use, for instance, uh, a washing machine or some equipment that you need to do the household. So uh, this is also growing internationally. This is just uh, last week. We had a a real estate delegation from Sweden and we were designing with the delegation what they can do with a large uh, area development called uh, Sege Park in in Malmö. And uh, we are about to get started on uh, doing concepting sessions for a whole neighborhood in the city of The Hague, uh, where the aim is to let it become the most sharing economy neighborhood of the world. So we're going to see with people who intended to go to live there, uh, what they would want to share. And research-wise, I'm not so interested in what we find out now, with the current situation, I'm most interested once the building is there, the people that are now skeptical, will their behavior changes? Do they see the benefits of having these access over ownership models? Uh, Well, our work with governments is a lot on on tourism. So in areas like uh, Scotland, uh, Italy, uh, in Japan, in Taiwan, we are working with local governments to help them better deal with the the peaks and the low seasons in tourism. If anyone has questions about that, uh, let me know. And we're doing quite a bit of work for ministries in across Europe, but also in other countries, talking about zoning laws, uh, regulation, uh, taxation, all these issues that come up if the sharing economy starts to grow. And then one of the coolest projects we are going to do, and now we're uh, switching to more future work uh, type of, uh, of, uh, of stuff, is um, uh, working from a distance. So I don't know if anyone has seen the movie Avatar. It's a movie where people enter in a different body through a machine. Well, this is already uh, happening. There are small pilots where uh, museums in one part of the world open up during nighttime when the crowd is out the avatars go in, and an avatar is basically a robot, but there's a human, in, a human inside the robot from another place in the world. So imagine you with a VR glasses on and some steering wheels, and you're actually moving a physical avatar somewhere else in the world. So when it's night there, the museum is closed, you can open up to people in different uh, time zones. But uh, this ANA Airlines from Japan, they just sponsored the Avatar Prize for the first company that can build a general purpose avatar. And this opens up new ways of learning and working from a distance. Because any place where you have a general purpose avatar, you can have a doctor from London for one hour and then a craftsman from Berlin the next hour, and you can have all kinds of new forms of skill sharing uh, around uh, the world on a global scale. Well, this is uh, probably in the, in, the, in the, if I can come back in two and a half years, I have some, <laughs> some even more exciting stuff to show, but I'm not allowed to share by, by ANA Airlines now. Um, And we're also uh, uh, starting to do more work on logistics because this is an industry where where urban development and gig economy are coming together. So in the Netherlands, and in some countries, the the postal market is more and more dominated just by gig work, also from the traditional uh, companies. And we are going to do all kinds of experiments where the, the, the persons that are now just delivering the post are going to do new functions. So imagine you're a postal company uh, and you have people in every street of the whole country, every day of the week. What else can you do with all those people? And how are these people willing to learn to do new things? So one pilot uh, that we're doing there is, uh, uh, well, they're all equipped with a smartphone, that they uh, help out with street maintenance. So if they see something wrong somewhere in the, in the public infrastructure, they take a picture, it goes to the city, uh, city government, uh, to the right department, and then they know where problems need to be fixed. That's just one little example. So through all of our work, where we are ending up is that two and a half years ago we are talking mostly about sharing economy, but you see that both, uh, uh, if you look at the large platforms, they are spreading out to not just peer-to-peer, but also uh, uh, the more traditional types, there's a a big blurring going on, Um, and also in the traditional industries, and also for governments, it seems now more relevant, in, in our experience, to speak about how online platforms are changing the economy, are changing society and are changing politics, as opposed to a more narrow view on sharing economy. But all the experience and everything we have learned about the sharing economy is extremely useful uh, to use as we are uh, entering this new era, so to speak, because there are so many concrete examples that are telling and that can help uh, to, to, to go forward. So we are actually making more of a distinction now between platform economy as an overarching term and sharing economy as a part of it. Uh, mostly about making a better use of existing assets, paid or unpaid. And then there's the biggest other one is the gig economy. Um, as most of you know, I expect. And, uh, well, you have like the all the platforms that started in the 90s or early in the last decade, like Booking.com, uh, uh, Apple, uh, eBay, uh, Facebook, that are just facilitating market economy work. We We buy from each other. And I think that also explains a little bit this difference between uh, uh, searching search trends on Google between buying and other forms. Uh, if you just look at when the buying platform started, they started in the 90s, and there are still new of those new of those type of shops emerging. So the first real uh, online shop for bicycles is only a couple of years old in the Netherlands, for instance. So you see that with the opportunity to buy online, it spreads out in different markets, but it takes time. And the whole uh, access over ownership economy uh, started about uh, uh, 10 to 15 years later than the whole online buying economy. So that's, I think, important to put it in in that historical perspective as well. So at ShareNL, we are doing presentations, we inspire uh, audiences, we help uh, companies and governments uh, with their uh, strategies. Um, and we do concepting and we uh, have uh, quite a diverse network. So we try to also make this accessible. So we have delegations from other countries coming to Amsterdam and we take them for one or two days right into Amsterdam, sharing city, meeting the entrepreneurs, meeting the people, the citizens that are using these uh, services as well, talking to policy makers, talking to investors, basically seeing all perspectives. And uh, in our view, experience is the highest form of learning. So this has been very successful thus far and it can really help any group of people to, in a very short term, get a good grasp of what actually is going on. So before I now go to the cities, I wanna speak a little bit more about this future of, of, uh, of platforms. Again, I, wanna, I can talk about this the whole afternoon. I wanna keep it quite uh, simple. Essentially, you have the supply, you have the, the, the demand, and you have the matchmaking in between. And we are seeing a huge development in the matchmaking and sharing economy. It's just making much, things much more efficient, reducing transaction cost. As this platform economy evolves, there's a tendency towards monopolies. That's the first thing. So, you see uh, uh, BlahBlahGar being integrated in Google. And behind the scenes, there are rumors of buyovers, you know, and it's all aggregating into central ownership. Most clearly in Asia, by the way. The largest uh, Chinese uh, competitors of Uber are also all moving towards, you know, you you think there are two competitors in the market, but they're owned by the same investment uh, uh, bank. Uh, So, that's interesting uh, to follow. But the the next two big trends that we will slowly start to see emerge over the next years is, well, maybe three. The first is a further uh, improvement in in the lowering of transaction costs because of blockchain uh, technology, uh, to how to make supply and demand, bring it together, and how to enable trust. Uh, But the second thing is uh, automation of the supply side of the economy. We know that most jobs will not disappear, but some jobs will disappear for 50 to 70% of the, of the type of work. And for drivers it's up to 80 and 90%. But the, the, one of the key challenges is that, that, that those companies and those governments that are not good in understanding the platform economy, they will be far behind in understanding how automation is going to enter our economy and our society. The reason why? is that most of these new technologies they will end first they will land first on these online platforms because they already have the data uber is the obvious example investing in a big platform while you know self-driving capability is coming well you have the data you have the platform so the supply side is is the next going to be the next disruption Uh, but then we are already slowly noticing i don't know if you if you use google maps you get sometimes suggestions of where to go of course in in google you already get uh, shopping uh, suggestions Um, Slowly but but surely, these large online platforms are going to decide for you. And I think this Spotify example is is quite exemplary for how uh, many markets will start to change this way or are already starting. So Spotify has uh, their Discover playlist. They they say, okay, trust us, we give you a list of nice songs that you may not yet know, but just trust us. So they get you into the universe of music. They are the big platform, they know you better than you know yourself. So all you have to do is close your eyes. Just jump blindly into their big uh, uh, universe and imagine this for your next trip that you're going to take, your next holiday. You know, imagine this for the next uh, 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 couch you're going to buy in your home. You will see that through all these online platforms, even the demand side is going to become increasingly automated, and that's quite a an interesting view, especially if you look at how the world is organized today and some of the trust scandals we are having, not just with large institutions, but also with some of the largest platforms like Facebook, for instance, over the last couple of weeks. So, time to breathe a little bit. We're going <laughs> to zoom back in time. We were now already in the future in terms of sharing economy, but uh, I want to speak a little bit about the, the, sharing, the whole Sharing City uh, story now. Time-wise, I think we are looking at this picture more or less in 2013. So we saw the sharing economy coming up in, in Amsterdam and uh, we were thinking that uh, sharing economy is quite an opportunity for social cohesion, sustainability, and economic resilience. And we were walking past this building in the city and it says, I'm playing in the city, expel in the stad, bit like German probably, uh, with everything that is already there, with alles wat er al is. And to us, this really, connected to what we were seeing in all the sharing economy platforms is okay, these walls between these buildings, they're digitally disappearing. Uh, Before I was going to buy a power drill because I didn't know that behind this wall, my neighbor has a power drill, I just didn't know. Now I can see it in the app and I know, hey, five meters from from me, there is a power drill. The same way I'm discarding a couch while my neighbor wants a secondhand couch. Now there are apps that can make that link. So you, you don't need to discard one and buy a new one. So that's a little bit how that started. And at the time I was graduating, I researched the Amsterdam population on their willingness to, to, to take part in the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found that about 84% of Amsterdam citizens is open to at least one or more examples uh, of sharing economy. So we launched ShareNL in the meantime, started to do some work on that end, but one of our passion projects as a social enterprise became Amsterdam Sharing City. And so once we knew that there was an interest from citizens, we started talking in our network And so it happened that uh, early in 2015, um, we were able to gather about uh, 60 organizations, about half of them were startups from the sharing economy. The other half were uh, uh, companies, uh, banking uh, industry, but also the public library, also uh, the local soccer club, a very diverse spectrum of organizations that all believed that uh, becoming a sharing would be worthwhile because you can make the city uh, better, essentially. Well, at the launch, there was also the deputy mayor of Amsterdam, which has been really helpful in our process of getting this off the ground, that she probably uh, stated that uh, she believed the sharing economy would be a huge opportunity uh, for Amsterdam and that it fits well with the history of the city. And then one year later, after the first uh, iShare Summit, uh, the city itself also had an action plan for sharing economy drafted. So. The key part of this action plan was that the city was not going to uh, take this as a phenomenon that you either ban or you authorize, but more of something that you need to give some space, let it grow and then learn from. So then they created the whole action plan with different uh, uh, components. Uh, I can pick out a few of those. Uh, They wanted to maintain a fair playing field between old and new uh, industries, uh, which is a struggle ever since, but at least the struggle has results. And they wanted to practice what they preach, so they're sharing uh, assets from the city government, uh, cars from the city government, uh, working spaces when they're not being used by government <coughs> officials. Yeah, for the sake of time, I'm not going through the whole spectrum now because there will be many more examples at the end of my presentation. But uh, one thing was for sure that everything that started to happen in Amsterdam got a lot of attention uh, internationally. And this uh, resulted for us that we were uh, being invited more and more around the world. And one of the absolute highlights for me personally was going to Seoul, because Seoul, South Korea is the world's first sharing city, already since 2012. Um, and in Seoul was what inspired us to also think about Amsterdam being the second sharing city of the world. And then the mayor of Seoul invited us to become his personal advisor and to let us share what we are doing in Amsterdam and in Europe back to Seoul, so that was really nice. But we have been to or have received delegations from all continents since. So here we are in Japan, for instance, uh, but we also received delegations in the Netherlands, in this case a uh, European uh, uh, Commission workshop. So at that point it started brewing and it's good to know we were definitely not the only one working on, on uh, sharing cities. You have uh, an organisation called WeShare, doing a lot of stuff on territories, which is in the, in the same uh, field. There's Nesta in the UK that published a research, there's Shareable that's been a booster already f- for much longer than we are. Uh, but we were the first uh, one to go towards uh, uh, real city-to-city collaboration, that's a question. Yeah, so what makes a city a sharing city? We're going towards that. So what, what we started with in our definition is that it's a city that tries to make the most of the opportunities of sharing economy in terms of social cohesion, economic resilience and sustainability, but a city that's also open to the challenges of sharing economy, mainly uh, losing power to govern your own city because of large online platforms changing how things are happening on, on the ground in your city. So that, that's what we started with, but this is an ongoing um, uh, discussion. There's no, there are no standards at this point for a sharing city. So uh, when we were seeing that there's more and more happening around the world, we were thinking we need to take this whole sharing city thing to the next level. So together with the city of Amsterdam, we invited partner cities of Amsterdam. I believe uh, Berlin was also invited, but didn't come, uh, regrettably. <laughs> Uh, there were about 12 uh, uh, cities, and it was the first sharing cities uh, summit. And what we did specifically at the summit is that we knew the cities were coming together to discuss, for instance, holiday rental and the housing situation in those cities. So that was going to be part of the very serious program in the in the mayor's uh, home, but the evening before, We organized an evening where we invited seven different social enterprises operating in different markets. And during the dinner, these uh, deputy mayors and their teams from those 12 cities got to know that the the sharing economy is much more diverse than just those large big platforms. And that was very well appreciated. So the the deputy mayor of New York, who was there too, uh, invited all the cities to come to New York one year later. And for us, which was really nice, she invited us as as well to again co-organize in New York the second sharing city summit. So at that point, we were getting into a stage where we were thinking, okay, you can take this to the next level. So we started to study some other city networks, uh, smart cities, uh, Euro cities, circular cities. And we noticed that most of the existing city networks are either financed by business, or they're very tech-centric and not citizen-centric. So we were thinking there's an opportunity there. And then we started designing the Sharing Cities Alliance, uh, which we were allowed to launch in uh, New York City last May. So less than a year ago. But I think a telling example is this news article after it. And this is exactly also our goal um, with our alliance to help cities to gain leverage to shape the sharing economy in their own city. So what you see happening in the alliance is that cities start teaming up, exchanging the way they do policy, exchanging case studies, exchanging research, but also speaking with one voice to some of the larger platforms, which actually these platforms also like because they don't then have to talk with uh, every city individually. So there's a lot of intelligence being shared, uh, a lot also behind closed doors. It's worth noting that we designed the alliance as a foundation apart from L, to keep it completely a safe place for the city governments to to work uh, together. Uh, And again, in this alliance, I think it's mostly uh, the opportunity of sharing economy as well as the challenge. So this picture, I think, combines both. I don't know if anyone knows what you're looking at here. Bicycles, yeah. It looks a bit like a Van Gogh type of painting, but In Berlin, I already counted four, maybe five different free-floating bike-sharing schemes. Most cities in the India Alliance are struggling with the same theme, and uh, some cities are coming to solutions. But in China, where they have a five-year economic plan to make the sharing economy 20% of their economy, it's been going a bit over the top. Um, In a city like Shanghai, which is a big city, there were about 200,000 bikes put in the the time-space of one month in the city. on the opportunity side, they were being used a lot, which is good for pollution and all kinds of other things. Uh, on the negative side, there was no plan for how these were going to be parked, uh, who maintains uh, the, 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 the the curbs on the streets so that people can also walk past these bikes instead of having to climb over, which is literally what happened in those cities. Um, While on the other hand, some cities in the alliance are working together on this and for instance Amsterdam said, okay, you're actually street selling, this is illegal, take all the street, you you have to take all the bikes out. Then they invited them all to the table and now all the providers have to work together to make sure there's not too many bikes in one place, that they're spread out well and that it looks neatly, which to me is a pretty German approach, very organized, very... (laughs) So this could be already one reason, by the way, for Berlin and other German cities to join our alliance, because it's already there. It will save you a lot of resources, and you have solutions available. Well, at the the launch, uh, the deputy mayor of New York uh, strenuously uh, uh, advised other cities to join this alliance. She's a true believer and one of our supporters, which is really good for us. So since the launch, uh, 13 cities have uh, have joined already, uh, reaching almost 100 million citizens if you add all those cities up. So it's quite If we do things right in this alliance, we can have quite an impact on all those citizens. And uh, the next summit, by the way, will be in Barcelona at the end of the year. So what are we doing in this alliance for those cities? So it started with summits. So we will still keep on doing summits together with the cities. And on all these summits, we want to balance opportunities, how to make things better, but also the challenges, like holiday rental, for instance. Those city officials, those deputy mayors and their teams, what they value most is is peer-to-peer exchange. If you can talk to your counterpart in another city, it's the most valuable thing you can do. And for many, it's also more valuable than going to the central government in their country because then they don't know where to be, they don't know where the intelligence is, while any other city could help out much better. So one of the key things we're doing in the Alliance is to do this on a continuous basis. So we're organizing online seminars frequently. So I'm just gonna go through a few that we did. We did one on uh, transportation with Washington. We did one on uh, regulating Airbnb with Toronto, Canada. And not too long ago, we did one on social inclusion with the city of Amsterdam. And uh, it's very nice because it also doesn't take city officials a lot of time. They just tune into our program. They can ask questions through the chat box. And one hour later, they are up to speed and they are in touch with what's happening. And they also have a, a a place where they can start new collaborations with each other. In the Alliance, we also do one-on-one advice, strategic advice for, uh, for the cities. Um, and we also do uh, uh, sharing city tours. So uh, cities that become premium partner, we will go there and visit them. And here's uh, one month ago in Dallas, in the United States, where I worked for uh, two full days with different departments of the city. Again I sat for three hours with their holiday rental team that were literally with their hands in the hair on how to deal with uh, Airbnb, for instance. Uh, but uh, also met with uh, the mayor to talk more about the vision for, for the city. Uh, and also, no, the, the next example comes later. And then the key thing we're doing is all of these activities, all these city-to-city interaction leads to a lot of interesting material. And over the last years we have been, have a lot of requests from researchers, but we don't have the capacity or the time to answer everything. But what we're doing is we're gathering everything we learn in one database. This database has been closed this first year, but we are now planning to open it up. So that's available for everyone. And there we collect the cases, uh, research, and also policies that our cities are willing to share. There will always be a part closed. Like the online seminars, uh, they will potentially, most, most will be behind closed doors because of the sensitivity of what they're talking about. Uh, but the whatever can be open will be open. And all partner cities also receive a monthly magazine with the, the most relevant new uh, highlights and also uh, uh, on different topics. So I'm going now to the last part of the, the presentation. And that is that uh, now that we, we have this alliance, there are 13 cities in, we have suddenly a global view of what's happening in all those cities, and what I want to do now is just show you uh, a few examples from every city uh, that is part of the alliance. So I have to start with Mayor Park Won Soon from Seoul, because he in many ways kick-started the whole sharing uh, city uh, uh, phenomenon, and What Seoul is very strong at is, and what they're focusing now on, is creating urban villages. Much more of an urban, uh, yeah, basically revitalizing a neighborhood feeling in uh, areas that don't necessarily look like like neighborhoods because of high-rise buildings. And previously they've been very good in looking where is like the biggest pain in our society and how can we solve that. Um, So, they have projects like Open Closet, where you can cheaply rent a suit if you have to apply for a new job, for instance, which helps people who cannot easily afford the suit to still get to that job. So, it's also quite uh, uh, pragmatic. And uh, what what started in Seoul and what you now see across the alliance is all these co-housing projects. One that's quite successful uh, with hundreds of matches in Seoul is matching uh, elderly people with students because students have a hard time finding affordable housing. Uh, Elder people tend to be sometimes socially isolated, more far from the family, so that's a good match. Well, much more on Seoul. If you go to sharehub.kr, you can find a lot of uh, case studies there. Um, Well, Amsterdam, sharing uh, public assets, I already mentioned that, but I think the most interesting example that's happening now in Amsterdam has to do with how, as a government, can you connect uh, your work and your financial streams to this very fragmented sharing economy world. Uh, Well, the strategy of Amsterdam is, first of all, we only work with social enterprises, not with the for-profit ones in this program. And what they do is they open up the city pass, which is a pass that's being given to all older citizens and people that are long-term unemployed. And previously, it was on paper, just get your discount to a museum, and the goal is that you stay active in society. But uh, they're digitizing this pass, and they're now connecting some sharing economy platforms to this pass. So these people may learn about some of those platforms that I just spoke about, doing a boat ride, uh, borrowing a power drill, getting a meal or cooking a meal for a neighbor. So this is a way of getting, reaching an audience that's not typically in the first uh, line for, for startups that have to survive financially as well, but it is uh, uh, a good match if you land it next to city goals. And with Share Your Meal, they go one step further. So there's all kinds of budgets from governments in care, in providing food for people who cannot care for themselves anymore. So what they are doing is, uh, some part of the government funding, the traditional funding, becomes part of the business model of social enterprises and they get some funding to be able to take those few extra steps necessary to reach those more fragile people. So for instance, this couple who cannot uh, uh, cook uh, anymore, uh, they can just call up the phone, there's a volunteer, uh, and then uh, somebody brings the food directly to their home. So they move from being dependent on like a government food program to a neighbor who's cooking a healthy and fresh meal. And uh, uh, in the long run, this could even save the government money because you basically crowdsource locally what you need locally. Well, in Amsterdam, they also put people who have a criminal record, who've been homeless for a while with older people who are living alone. You think this is a bit scary trust-wise, but it's <laughs> the, the, the first. <laughs> The, the first uh, results are, are very promising. You see that even those, if any, any person you give trust, 99% of the time it will go well. And this is also what you see there, that is really benefiting uh, both of them. So I'm going to speed up now through some of the other examples, uh, cities quickly. Um, in New York, there's the Brooklyn microgrid. It takes the Van de Bron peer-to-peer energy example one step further. Um, It is building a local energy grid with batteries and solar panels and uh, a system that's automatically facilitating the trade of energy in this local neighborhood. So I may buy energy from a neighbor without actually having to do all the transaction work. That goes automatically on the blockchain, which is one of those first uh, uh, real examples of how blockchain is used in, in sharing economy. And basically they become independent of the large utility and provide for their own energy. Well, Singapore is one of those cities that really needs more social inclusion within their city. It's all high-rise and there's lack of public spaces, so uh, the Asian way, they decided to go big and they're transforming uh, 1,000 places into community gardens and not just a nice garden to be, which is already nice in a city like Singapore, uh, but also, for instance, growing food together and then sharing it back with the people who help. Well, of course, in Berlin, there's also a lot of that type of activity. Well, The Hague and the Netherlands is focusing very much on connecting the sharing economy to, to the circular economy. So how can they, for instance, integrate car sharing into their circular economy goals and calculate the impacts and how it makes life in the city better? Well, a city like uh, Copenhagen, like like Germany, is, is very good also in cooperatives. But they have a, a special project where the... The uh, municipality uh, actually said, hey, we want to buy windmills as a municipality, and they opened it up to the citizens as well. And then 8,500 citizens joined, so they could build much more windmills because a lot of citizens participated. Uh, and uh, Copenhagen is also one of the more experimental cities with government innovation. So they created a lab with an aim to help the government to be more citizen-centric. And one of the things that came out of that is they have, have uh, share boxes they put out throughout the cities, but in those shared boxes that you can open with your phone, there are only items that are good for shared experiences. So maybe like a badminton record so you can play with one another. Just to basically turn the whole city into one big uh, playground. Well then, I think this is one of the most interesting ones in the context of regulating the taxi uh, industry. Uh, in, in my view, Washington DC is ahead of the curve uh, in the entire world with what they are doing. And uh, they have taken a very integrative approach where they really took care of all stakeholders. So what they did for the uh, regular taxi industry is that they provide free digital meter apps that they can use. And they also uh, built a a free uh, e-hill app for for the industry cooperative. So that you actually have more options than just working for the commercial ones. Seoul did a similar thing, but then they just did that app and the co-op. And the most interesting thing about uh, Washington is that they're integrating all forms of transport in their city, all the way from hailing a cab without a phone on the street to uh, the bus and transit systems. So through their uh, system, it doesn't matter how you are getting a ride and what ride you get, uh, it will in the end end up in the same software system. And in terms of taxis, there's actually a a blend. So if you order a ride, the city system is looking which uh, car is actually nearest. And depending on that, you get the nearest car, and this can be different on different platforms. So that saves uh, miles in the city. But the key thing is that no matter if you do, do the payment inside the, someone else's platform, the data flows back to the city. So the city has is really able to integrate all forms of transport and have a snapshot of real-time data, and now they can start really improving their transportation system to be uh, more closely to the needs of their citizens. So now they can really focus on doing better for underserved areas, for instance. Um, So yeah, to me, uh, uh, yeah, that's really one of the most interesting things that are happening. Uh, And then if you want to learn more about collaborative policy making, Barcelona is the place to be. Uh, They wrote out a contest and hundreds of citizens participated, and they ended up with about 20 policies that were actually adopted by the city government. Uh, Among them are entrepreneurship programs, so the city is doing accelerators for social enterprises, uh, commons-oriented organizations that want to do more in uh, in the city. And the city is also sharing its own resources. And they discovered that computers is a problem for some citizens of Barcelona, so they started with government-owned computers. So you can use computers whenever the city officials don't need them. And then we move up north to Sweden. Uh, Sweden is one of the places that are doing most with offline uh, sharing in their city. So uh, things like, indeed, like the repair cafes and all kinds of local or physical locations are being used to allow sharing uh, locally. And uh, just like you did a map of all of Germany, they made a, a smart on like a smart map for uh, the city of Gothenburg, where you can easily find all of this. So. In the end, these, all, these are all things that are happening, and we can research them, but I think the, the question of what can we do with it is actually the most important thing. And when I was in Dallas, we had a long session on how you can use uh, this platform economy dynamic to actually solve some of the city's biggest problems. Well, there's a lot of segregation in the city, there's neighborhoods with a lot of immigrants and not even internet access. And then there's this uh, uh, Dallas case worker who was noticing, hey, I'm getting the same five questions from everywhere I go. Uh, everyone that I'm helping. So I just put the answers to those questions in an app, that's it, in as many different languages as possible. What we are going to grow this towards in Dallas is to create a, a platform that's creating a journey for immigrants that are new into the city. Similar to Airbnb saying, hey, from the moment you book to the moment you're back home, we are there every step of the way, your food, your travel, where you stay. Uh, this platform aims to integrate everything that's already there in the city in terms of help for these people, uh, language learning, finding the right uh, classes to follow, etc., etc., and then uh, uh, create a journey on the platform to start with, uh, so that people that are now in like 12, 13 years old, coming new into the city, can actually move towards the where they want to go. So that's I think really interesting, and uh, Tel Aviv is a city that's already taking this a few steps further. They build a platform where they say, as long as you're living in Tel Aviv, uh, we will be there in in your pocket, with you and for you. Um, So these were all cities in the alliance, but what's happening is that in Japan, I was there in November, and 15 Japanese mayors uh, shared a sharing city declaration. One year before, in in Korea, uh, uh, seven other mayors signed the sharing city uh, declaration. Uh, this week in Sweden, uh, co-founder of the Alliance, Harman, gave a presentation at the launch of Sharing Cities Sweden. First four, but a bunch of other cities are going to become sharing cities in Sweden through a government-sponsored program. Uh, the week before, we were in Casablanca, Smart City Expo, a bunch of African cities interested in becoming sharing cities. So it's really, it's really uh, on the rise. Yeah, And then to conclude, uh, uh, the future of the sharing economy in urban areas, where do we stand and what is next? The title of this talk. Well, I think you can see it's a very dynamic uh, place where we are in. At this point, about 80 cities around the world have some sort of sharing economy uh, policy adopted. But to again put it in contrast, uh, Airbnb is moving towards closing MOUs with 700 different cities. So there you see a bit of a misbalance. Uh, But the good thing is that there are increasingly policies, uh, case studies and research uh, available. The, The key next thing that we're gonna see happen in the most successful sharing cities is bridging the online sharing economy with the offline sharing economy. As you can see also in the research this morning, there's a big discrepancy there, and what we need is ways to connect those physical sharing hubs to what's there available digital, and to connect the digital world more to what's available uh, in the offline atmosphere. So the the car sharing example in the garage in Utrecht is a good example because it increases reliability to have access to a car if you know that there's a physical hub nearby where there are always cars available. Well, like I said, blockchain, AI, and and IoT, you will see increasingly more of those examples popping up. Um, And the next big thing is that some cities are already a bit there, but the most front-running city governments will be able to actually govern uh, their digital city. So most cities are still in the phase that they can govern their physical city, but have a hard time uh, with the digital layer that's now active on top of those cities and the way that's changing uh, the city. While some other cities are much better able now to actually deal with, for instance, online platforms changing your housing situation or changing mobility situation. And I think this in the end will result in a new power balance between cities and large online platforms. Uh, My estimate is that some cities will be crushed by the online platforms, some cities will be able to stand out and uh, remain stronger than the largest online platforms. And of course, city to city learning is on the rise. We got a beautiful alliance next summer in Barcelona and we definitely hope there's no German city in the lines yet, but we definitely hope to welcome one. So if any one of you could help with that, that would be uh, absolutely awesome. So closing, really, really closing. The reason why I'm doing all this is that I do believe that in those cities and in the country in general, we can move to a world where every person has access to everything you need to live a happy connected and a sustainable life. The abundance is already there. We're only becoming more efficient. It's just a, a matter of making the connections between the people and then we'll get there. So anyone who wants to join in the mission, join me. Thank you.